welcome back to season three of Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're returning to the show, I'm absolutely thrilled. And if you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our Patreon and some cool Things Are Going Great For Me swag, <laughs> including a quietly dignified Things Are Going Great For Me coffee mug. We've also got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, so check them out and listen in comfort and style. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from our Season 1, Season 2, and Season 3 guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they adjusted to life in quarantine and how the pandemic is continuing to change life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen, so if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're delighted to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be exceptional. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon and at local retailers near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness, subscribe to the show, leave us a nice comment, tell your aunt about us, give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. <laughs> We've also got a fancy new published date. You can check out new episodes of Things Are Going Great For Me now every Wednesday. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors, and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. Today we're doing something special again. It's our very first solo guest episode, featuring a lovely, long-form interview with the extremely talented John Clarence Stewart. John can be seen on the sophomore season of the hit stars drama P-Valley as the beloved character Big Teak. Previously, John starred on NBC's Emmy Award-winning musical television series Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist in another standout role as Simon. John can also be seen on the Netflix anthology series What If, opposite Renee Zellweger. He also recurred on both seasons of Luke Cage, in addition to guest star roles on a number of other series. John recently performed his solo show at the famed 54 Below Cabaret Venue in New York City. I noticed one day that John was following our podcast, so I, I took a chance and I reached out to him to see if he'd like to do an interview, and he very graciously accepted. I'm so glad he did. We ended up chatting about many subjects, including arts education, getting his start in regional theater before making the move to New York City. John also opened up about family loss and grief, struggling to make ends meet while bringing his artistry to the audition process for the hit shows he starred on, in addition to his latest career-changing role, Big Teague and a deeply meaningful conversation around representation for black men in mainstream media storytelling. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I'll be speaking with John in a few minutes. By the way, I'm in Ireland right now. Uh, I'm recording this intro from my hotel room. I'm in Dublin for a wedding for a couple friends of mine, which also gave me a rare opportunity to have a visit with my birth mother, who I've mentioned on the podcast back in my interview with comedian Baron Vaughn. 
So I also wrote parts of this intro as I was sitting on a train from Dublin to Cork yesterday, observing the beautiful countryside, the cows and the sheep grazing on either side of the train car. It was beautiful and green and calming, more beautiful than I could have ever even imagined. This is our fourth visit in person, only our second visit together in Ireland. The other visits happened in New York when I was doing the Lincoln Center Director's Lab and the other in Los Angeles. And the visits came after years of writing handwritten letters to each other. The relationship has its nuances. It's not an easy transition to bring a new family member into your life for either of us. We have to take special care of each other's feelings. But the good news is that our hearts have a big capacity for love. You don't reach capacity for how many people you can love. And anyone who has kids knows that the minute they meet their child. So I'll give you a quick update on our visit at the end of this episode. But now, without further ado, here's my interview with the kind, hilarious, thoughtful, empathetic, and full of heart and talent, John Clarence Stewart. Um, so this is a very this is a very cool thing for me, which has happened now a few times, where I discover someone very exciting like yourself uh, is following this show of mine on our social media, and to get to meet you because of this podcast that I'm doing just blows my mind. Um, mm. It's so fun, and so I just want to say thank you for following us. I'm honored and very happy to meet you. Um, well, you know, the honor goes both ways, and um, I'm happy to meet you as well. Um, my introduction to your podcast was through a guy, his name is Joe Tippett. And, uh, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Joe Tippett, I, you know, in the New York circles, like, well, not even in New York, we, we did this musical. I'm gonna put you on blast, Joe. I'm sorry, dude. Um, we did this Bull Durham musical way back in the day. Oh my God, I saw this on your resume, and I was I forgot to put it in my little interview here. There was it's a okay, musical bro. version of Bull Durham that you did with Joe yeah. Tip. I didn't know Joe did this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably isn't on his resume. It's not something you would have on a resume. But no, it's it's great. It was a um, it was a wonderful experience. There was a a lot of a lot of that crew have gone on to do some incredible things. Um, including Joe, and yeah. I have a lot of respect for him as an artist and an actor and a person. And so I saw the well, I saw I saw the interview and listened to the interview between you and Joe, and I was like, "That's really beautiful." So it's a good that's interview to me. Following, yeah, absolutely. Joe's a great guy, and that's so lovely to hear. I'm so glad you know Joe. He's, um, you know, I've known him for a long time, and although you know, so we we had like a uh, what do they call formative formative relationship doing theater at Williamstown in 2008. And then we just got very close as performers and friends. And, uh, and then I fucked off back to LA and he stayed in New York and had a great run with it. He's doing these incredible things, but yes, that interview was great. And I knew Joe at a time, we had a very sort of probing conversation about, um, things that, that he's changed in his life. And he was very generous in that interview and, uh, love him. Love that guy. Well, that's so great to hear. And, uh, so now I wanted to ask you, so you're originally, is, are you originally from Georgia? Do I have that right? Yeah, you got that right. Stone Mountain, Georgia. Yeah. And I understand you played some football in high school and <laughs> you, you also performed in a senior year production of the musical Once on this Island. So here's a person who's doing football 
and musical theater. Now, okay. Right, right away, yeah. that is delightful. You can do both, folks. That's what I want to say right there. You can, you can do both. Now, I, I'm going to have to, you know, fracture this a little bit. Because now everyone is thinking, oh, my gosh, he did football? He must have been amazing. He must have been, he must have been a star. He must have been. No, I was terrible. I never really, I, I had a lot of, my, my coaches would say that had a whole lot of heart, right? Yeah. A whole lot of heart. But the, 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 the talent was not with me in that endeavor. <laughs> and um, what were you, and, what was it not, what was not your, because none of, athleticism is not my, almost n- not my forte at all. I mean, what was your, uh, what was your area of tr- trouble? I mean, I guess it was like size, speed, strength, all of them. No, I mean, <laughs> I <laughs> Oh my God. No, I, I just, I didn't grow for a long time. I'm what you would, I just late bloomer, I guess is the term for it. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad, uh, who's, you know, who's transitioned, he's passed now. But like my pops, when he was in high school, he was, he was like, you know, he was a smaller guy, but he's like the size of the dog in the fight. Yeah. Not this, it's the size of the dog in the fight, not the size. It's the size of the. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. He would say that all the time. There you go. Yeah. And he's like, "This is it," because they won the high school championship in his senior year in high school, and he was like the guy. And um, I always wanted to be. I just wanted that story. Like I wanted that to be my story. I wanted my yeah. Rudy story, right? Completely. Did not. Yeah. yeah. And so I gave it all. Gave it my all. All my effort. I trained with the big guys. I did all of this stuff. My dad even put us in these uh, football camps over the summer. And um, I was training with, it's, 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 it's a great idea, but it's a little humiliating. It wasn't intentional, but when you're training alongside these kids who are, you know, six, seven years younger than you, and they're running as fast or faster than <laughs> lifting as much or more than and doing all these agility things and you're just like how do i how do i how do i quantify my relationship to football in this atmosphere yeah. and then um uh so my relationship to football became one of just um a lot of heart and a lot of trying and i kind of earned my stripes in practice i try to be the best practice partner that I could for the team I wasn't gonna really play in the games as much I didn't really play as much in the games um but I tried and then uh and then I went to a uh I went to a private school one year in high school because I thought that this is I thought that if the competition was different then I could look I'd be better because I was trying to actually get a football scholarship I really wanted to see if I could do that yeah. And I thought that it was maybe because all of the kids that I went to school with were so incredibly gifted. I was like, but if I went to this private school where there's like people who are smaller or whatever, and maybe I'll have a better chance. Right. You no, know, not so much. Not so much. So I, no, I, <laughs> I, but I, but I gave it a shot and I missed my friends anyway. And oh, so man. I went back and yeah, it was. You did all little, of that just to take this, you took that risk and then. It ended up not being great, and you missed your friends. That sounds like a pretty tough year of high school. Yeah, it was rough, man, because it was it was a rough year of high school. It was a year of like this, um, a lot of transition, but transition that you know I chose, and I I thought that you know, man, I 
it was an interesting thing because my I started before I before I left um, to do football at this private school. I had started doing I started playing trumpet in middle school. Cool. And nice. I played it. Uh, yeah. So like I, I Trump, kind of trumpet was on it. my list. Like I, I played piano for about twelve years. I still play piano, but I like the ones that were on my list were uh, after that were drums, uh, trumpet, uh, and saxophone. Drums, trumpet, Ooh. saxophone. Yeah, those are the ones I would so, like to play. So, so you you played piano for twelve years. Yeah, I studied it for twelve you, years. You and, studied and, it I, and then I still play. Yeah. And are did any of the others? You said Trump's on the list, but have you dabbled in any of the no, others or no? These are things that I'm now putting under a category of like after my kids are grown and out of the house, I'm going to start doing these things. But like, I... you know, but like I, you know, the, but playing drums on kit like that, I would very much like to do playing trumpet. I feel like there's some similar stuff with singing, which is a thing that you do. It's a thing that I do. I feel like the breath control portion of that, like would be nice. Saxophone is just fucking cool. I mean, like just, yeah. <laughs> just, it's just a sexy fucking instrument, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, trumpet is, uh, I've always been sort of, uh, loved the sort of the beauty of that instrument, the sound of it. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I, you know, I love hearing that cause trumpet, Kind of held a special space in my you know life for a time and there is a sound there's this and what you can get with a um with the mute with a the mm. different sounds you can get as you wah, 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 all of the different things you can do and the coronet yeah. that's like adjacent you know it's really beautiful what you're able to create yeah and i i you know there was a guy in our um band who was our first chair. His name was Matthew. I can never pronounce his last name, but his first name was Matthew. And um, and he was a, he was just he was a brilliant trumpet player. And I was always trying to, you know, it's just trying to get to first on one of the songs, you know. But yeah. he just was naturally gifted in that way. Um, but then when I went to this private school, I realized that one of the byproducts of going to the private school and trying to be a big shot in football was that a big shot in football didn't play trumpet in the band. So mm. I, you know, I quit trumpet and this, you know, tried to commit myself to this. And then by the time I got back in my old school, I completely left trumpet behind and yeah. wasn't doing yeah. any of those things anymore. Um, and it took, it took until doing the, that musical, the Once on this Island, when I, got back into some kind of music again, but it took years and years and years before I would accept that as a part of my like artistic identity, like song and music and all of that. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. Well, you know, I don't know that there was any, I mean, there was a stigma about doing anything, doing theater just period was already mm -hmm. a, like a, a thing that was when, when sort of dealing with, uh, you know, subjects like masculinity and things like that. It's but but look, I mean, it was it, it for me personally. It just filled my heart and soul. It was undeniable, and mm. the, the love that I had for the forms and to be part of a community that did feel, you know, 
vulnerable and you know in the best ways and storytelling which I just that was the thing I think was sort of the most important to me but I I, I, I think about what you're saying it's like that thing of like you, you kind of hope that there's this thing that you're like the, the standout at you know mm -hmm. and you but even still you can have all these myriad of interests and you can have interest in you know performing um you know playing trumpet and and being athletic and and uh you can i'm sure take gifts from all of those things like the, i think the teamwork component of being on the football team has got to be a great thing with some great life lessons there i did not really do so much team sports i just was not good at all the only i did i wanted to play first thing i wanted to do before becoming an actor was be was play basketball oh and tried and tried and tried and just no just no talent for it ball doesn't mm. roll well off my fingers can't jump not very fast i you know i <laughs> i look like i'm just not 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 great but loved it and had heroes that did it and you know so then you know i was talking to somebody on this podcast just the other day about oh i discovered that it was like started singing along to the soundtrack of some Disney show uh, movies mm -hmm. and then got like a, a music teacher in like, I think third, starting around like third grade was like, wow. sort of indicated like, oh, this is your thing. And mm -hmm. so then at that point, I just kind of stuck with it. And these other things, I would try to do them a little bit, but, but you want that thing that you're like, this is the thing that I'm, I'm the best at this at the, mm -hmm. you know, in my little bubble. And I wasn't the best at it in, in mine, but I would be competitive at least. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is the thing with band. It's like that first chair. <laughs> you're either first chair or you're not. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, there's not more than one. There is a first chair. You're, you are that guy or you're not. And, but I, I you know, I, I agree with what you're saying and I empathize a lot. This, um, you know, wanting to... I think it's more for me like wanting to have something that it's like wanting to have an interest because there's like a lot of different interests as a kid you're curious about a lot of different things but it's it's a different thing when like one of those interests is it's almost like finding like that interest is in you it's like, it's like yeah. I'm interested in a lot of different things I'm interested in a lot of different things and and then I you know when it you know kind of like theater or music even if there's the part of me that's, you know, scared of how I'm perceived in the world and the whole like idea of, you know, the, the toxic masculinity and the performance mm -hmm. of manhood and like, you know, yeah. I, I can't be there. Who do I, what, who am I? All of this stuff that specifically happens all the time. But I think it's just more um, it's heightened in a different kind of way when you're a kid. Um, yeah. You know, you just want to kind of find or dis or like discover that thing that is in you. Um, yeah. And when you do, hopefully, you know, hopefully you have voices around you that affirm that, mm. you know, um, so that, you know, when you have those moments of when the outside, you encounter something outside that is like, echoes something that's inside of you, that the world kind of conspires to affirm that as a kid. So you're not like, yeah, you know, then take that and like shove it down and then try to hide it from the world because it's not 
accept it or you shouldn't be or whatever that is, you know, you, so the fact that you had this music teacher in, in third grade, you said, right? Yeah, she's, she used to do this really fun thing where she, uh, her name is Terry Radilla, and she used to do a thing where she would be a psychic for everybody in the class. And we were in third grade. No, were we third grade? Maybe it was a little later. I might be wrong about this. No, I'm sorry. This was, sorry. This is fifth grade. So a couple of years later. Okay. But she would do a fun thing with us, which would she would like tell us our futures. It was just a bit that she did. That's and so for cute. me, I remember she was like, you're going to be a lounge lizard. <laughs> she said to me, which was like, great. I had no, never heard of a lounge lizard before. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> I think it's like, you remember Bill Murray used to do that routine as like the, the singer in the nightclub who would, and he would oh, sing like terribly. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's a lounge, a quote unquote lounge lizard. So I'm a little fifth grader being like, lounge lizard, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and, that's but then eventually she was just like, there's there's an audition for this. Um, it was a production of Evita that was happening at the mm. professional house. She was like, you should go and audition. And that was my first job. And I guess I was like 11. Mm. And um, I sang Be Our Guest was like my audition song. Um, but yeah, it's huge that somebody gave a shit and, mm. you know, and those people along the way who have done that, it's, it, it, those are wonderful gifts. And I think like, you know, we talk about this, uh, maybe in a little bit, but it's like, when you get out to Hollywood, it's like, do those people exist anymore? It's you know, those people, if you, I, I, I ho hopefully people get them at some point. You get somebody mm -hmm. early on who tells you you've got something special or, you know, and maybe that's sustaining during the harder times. I think that's kind of how I feel these days. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. you know, then similarly, you know, or conversely, maybe you get people tell you like nobody maybe has ever told you this, but you are great at this. And those I mean, mm -hmm. so long as you get some people somewhere along the line and hopefully you didn't quit doing the thing that you loved, I think that would be. That'd be nice. I mean, so for you, it's like you you do this show. Is this the thing that galvanizes you around? Because then you do go off to college after this and study theater, correct? Yeah, I do. I, for me, I, I wish I could say that I, I had a wonderful experience when I did that uh, uh, musical in high school. Coop, who was my, my drama teacher, um, she was one of those, you know, formative yeah. teachers. And also there's a teacher, forget her name at this point, but um, she was a choir teacher. And, you know, I, I auditioned singing Happy Birthday, right? I wasn't, yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to be there. Um, and they said yes, and they believed in me. And the entire experience was a bit of a whirlwind. And by the end of it, you know, I'm, I'm a senior in high school, I'm gonna graduate. And then the question became, what about college and what does that look like? And I had a, a friend of mine, her name was Britt, and she was going to school in this um, South Georgia, Columbus State University. She was going there and she's at this theater program. I was like, theater program? I do theater in high school. I mean, that's I've enjoyed this. This could be, sounds like it would be cool. And so I decided to uh, take it upon myself to audition for a scholarship there. And I was like, okay, mm. so I'm going to audition for a scholarship. Never done this before. They said something about a monologue, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, a monologue? What's a monologue? So I had to look up what a monologue <laughs> yeah, yeah. is and try to figure that out. Right. And I just, you know, found a movie that I love, which was my favorite movie is Good Will Hunting. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
and I about this the monologue that Robin Williams does Robin Williams does on the bench in the park. Oh I my learned god! That. Yeah, bro, I learned that and I did that for the audition, and it was fucking horrible. It was terrible. It was. It was. It was. It was, it was what it was, does that mean? Were they just sort of stone faced about it, or they were they were just watching? I think they were. I think about who I was at that point, and I think I just had so much enthusiasm and energy like i don't know how i took that monologue now and i i have glimpses like flashes of memories of me going from wall to wall in the room doing a lot of things and i don't understand how any of that (laughs) makes sense given the text (laughs) i just just, why is he why is he doing a handstand I just remember doing so the funny. most, just like, and then after it was over, they were like, do you sing? And I remember I told them, no, I don't. And then I had a teacher who said, I don't believe you. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> we moved on and I got the, it was like the scholarship was like $500. It's like the smallest one that they offered. But I was just like, that's a sign. I guess I'm supposed to go to school to do this. And okay. So I school. Yeah. And um, audition for the plays in the semester. And then I had a, a, a friend of mine, his name is Anthony Jackson, who became, he was um, one of the black actors in the department. There were not many of us, but he, you know, he saw this black kid come in and, and I got cast in one of the shows. I hate Hamlet was the show. I got cast huh. in that. I've never heard yeah. of that. That's great. Yeah. So it's, it's this like funny farcical kind of situation. And there's a character that comes in halfway through the show and is this like big kind of personality and I, I they cast me in this role and I don't know what to do with it I I just don't understand I don't understand what is expected of me mm. and he sent me emailed me a breakdown of all these questions you ask as you're building a character oh sure was, yeah it's my introduction to like okay so you know this is, I'm asking myself these questions as this character, trying to understand how to build this character. The first rehearsal, I went into the room and the teacher, uh, his name was Steven Graver. He was like, um, okay, John, you're gonna go stage left. And I was just like, I just stood there and stared at him. I was like, I don't, don't, don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and so I had to figure out all of that. It just felt way behind. Cause you learn, at least I learned that a lot of the kids that are in school for theater, they, they've done it at some point, like consistently, it was a part of their language and vernacular and yeah, the that, things the, that... the vocabulary there, it's like, that is one of those things I think about sometimes. It's like, that's the barrier for a lot mm. of people, you know? It's like the mm. folks that want to get involved, they want to do this and it's like, the, but that vocabulary, I'm, I'm sure can be very intimidating, can make a person feel like they're not welcome because it's like, it's just, you know, it's like nautical language, you know, star, starboard and, and, and port. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a whole set of language that you gotta have some sense of. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I love that. It, it is, it is like nautical language. It's like a whole, it's, you need, you need a glossary of all yeah, of these terms right. to, to navigate the world. And you're like, okay, okay. And, but everybody around you maneuvers like like they just said okay we're gonna go to the store down the street and everybody gets it mm-hmm. and you're the one person that's like how do you know that there's a store and how do you know that there's a street and how do you know which way we're going i don't understand 
Sure. And so, um, but it's, it, it ended up being a, a great, exp- it was a, okay, so it was, it was cool. It was cool. Like, it was cool in that um, I had to learn, do the basics, like, I got to figure out the stage direct, like the staging and the learning lines and kind of put things together and things were still kind of, um, nothing had kind of gelled. It was still like different pieces of a thing and nerves. And then I remember the first time there was an audience and it wasn't like a, it wasn't in in the thing that was interesting for me is that it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a musical. It was like. There was no musical, there was no song, there was no, there was this, um, it would just felt like when we were in a, our first, I think it was our first preview, we had the audience and I would just remember feeling like the, sh- like the shot of energy yeah. because the character was so eccentric. He was, the character was really eccentric and, I, and, and, and kind of the point is that he doesn't fit inside the world of the play. And so, and as they were giving me things, more started coming out. And I just, after it was over, I was like, that's it. That all of these, there was the staging and the lines and this and this and these questions that I'd asked myself that I'm all in my head about. And then, and like a moment of the audience being there is this experience of going, okay, it all kind of cooks. And right. that's, the, that's, the, that's the pie. That's the fucking pie. Yeah, and that's like, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that audience, that's right. The audience is part of the show. They're part of the show. When, it, when you're doing theater, you know, it's interesting because movies can have that same effect. You know, it's like when you see a certain movie, like you see any Michael Bay movie in a, in a movie theater, it's like the audience participation and what's going on on the screen is part of it. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not like those, but those performers can't hear it. I think that sometimes I feel like when we're filming something, you, you have that sense of like, you can almost hear the audience responding to something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, in theater, yeah, every performance is going to be a different performance because the audience is new and they're playing a character in the show, which is called uh, participating. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in, what's, in what's going on. And I think like, you know, you go back to Shakespeare and the, the, the whole idea of like the folks that were con- called the groundlings who were standing. And, uh, you know, have you had an opportunity to go see a, any kind of a Shakespeare in the round the way they used to do it back in the Elizabethan times? You know, I think, I think I may have seen one, I may have done one in college at some point, you know, a Shakespeare in the round. And yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's really cool to see that. I have a, um, Shakespeare's dope, right? Really, really incredible. Sure. I think Shakespeare's yeah. fire. Um, and, but I, I think that when I was in college and we were doing Shakespeare, so much of it was about a voice and a thing mm-hmm. and all of these things that, you know. Yeah. That, that, complete, that disconnect that, that fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets in the way of the text, and uh, like it disconnects me as the audience from the language and the work, mm-hmm. and it and yeah. it. Um, but like, I have had the opportunity. I think I saw. There was a show I saw at theater for a new audience years ago, with um, John Douglas, JD, John Douglas Thomas, I believe. Okay. And it was either, it was either it was either Shakespeare or like. Tamberland or something it was one of these classics 
And it was one of the first times that I saw a classic on the stage and I and I felt like I felt like it was embodied and real and yeah um you know and it was it was uh yeah and it it, it moved me and I was like oh, okay that's the power of this thing I mm -hmm. yeah yeah. That Shakespeare again, it's like that we were talking about this uh the vocabulary stuff and the intimidation of like that kind of stuff and it's Shakespeare is a similar thing where it's you know not uh, not dissimilar to something like musical theater where it's like it's so beloved and there are so many people who are going to tell you why it's important that there it would be normal to get a feeling of like all right, well, like whatever. <laughs> like you know. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. when you hear it, you're and you, or or even then you go to listen to it, and it's like you're trying, you're you're putting your mind in a place of like not, hard. It's hard to receive it, because you're like, I know this is supposed to be important, you know. And the language is difficult, you know. I went. I remember I was thinking about this the other day. Like I moved to the UK. I was born in the UK, but I had lived in the states for a long time. And then we went back to the UK for my uh, eighth grade year through high school. And I remember getting off the airplane there and somebody at the airport speaking to me with an English accent and I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> just, it just, I, I was like, I said, just sounded like a different language. Like I didn't, couldn't mm. understand what they were saying. It took me, uh, it took me a minute mm -hmm. to be like, Oh, okay. Oh, well, now I hear, I hear what people are saying, you know? And, um, I really believe with Shakespeare, and I've seen a lot of great Shakespeare, I've been lucky to see some really great Shakespeare, and of course I've seen my fair share of terrible Shakespeare. And mm -hmm. the terrible stuff is oftentimes I find is that thing of like the people doing it have zero sense of humor. And there's such a great sense of humor in so much Shakespeare stuff. The dramas, in addition to the comedies. There's mm -hmm. great humor, there's great jokes, there's some dirty jokes. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. Mm -hmm. But that sort of reverence, like you said, to the sort of the way that people think they're supposed to do it, that's kind of, I think that that's sort of based on this sort of UK training, which does put this emphasis on the language. And, but it's a, just a completely different way than actors in the US train. We train mm. differently. So I've seen a great American actors when they do Shakespeare, it's, it feels accessible because they're making it sound organic. They're making it feel, mm. They're making it make sense to them first. And then for that reason, it's so, I'm so grateful that I'm like, okay, I get it. Mm. I you love know? this. You said they do this, this, uh, this idea of, and this is the way I, I love work in, in people who have the ability to do this, like taking, like you take all of these different things and you metabolize it, right? Yeah. You take the, the language and this and this and all the givens and all of this stuff. You take it put it into your instrument through the rehearsal process and you're metabolizing, metabolizing, metabolizing. And it never, it never ends even through the, no. you know, through the run of the show, it never ends. Right. But you are continually like, and with Shakespeare, the thing that, the, I think the thing that's so like magnanimous about Shakespeare is that you're always going to be metabolizing. You will never get to the end of like what your what your instrument is going to consume and find yeah. as you're continuing to like live in the moments um but it's those you know for me it's it's also about it's the really listening it's like it goes down to the like the basics of like the the like listening but like really listening 
and knowing that, you know, it's because you can tell when an actor, in my opinion, you can tell when there's a there's a rhythm to a thing and you're hitting the rhythm of the thing, but you didn't hear the thing that just happened. But you right, know that right. like, musically, because there is a, there's also mm -hmm. go to musical theater. There yeah. is a there is a it's like there's a note that's going to come that you have to hit mm -hmm. because that's the show. Yeah. But you know, have you are you present in the moment to justify this thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and the and the audience, whether they have the language for that or not, feels it. Yeah. They feel you know. I yeah. love this because it's like this thing I think about too, which is like anytime there's any kind of exterior work to do with a character, like the character is uh, drunk or they're stoned, or they uh, or they speak, or it's a Tennessee Williams play, which has a very specific kind of a Southern accent that people think of, and if the actor goes straight for the playing drunk, or they go straight for the playing the, that accent, it's like it, be, it will become just as you said this kind of like sing-songy thing. None of it's investigated. No, it'll just be surface, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like you want to add that stuff. That's the final thing you add is that, okay, the mm -hmm. character's now the character's stumbling around drunk. But it's like you put that at the beginning. That's like taking a paintbrush with one color and saying, okay, well, it's like saying, oh, the character's mad. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I used to hate mm -hmm. that thing. People say, like, well, don't come into a scene at a 10 because then you'll have nowhere to go. Like, go to a 2. That happens in arguments. You're at a 10, suddenly you're, you, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, you were talking about this? Oh, I'm sorry. Like you go to a two. Then something else happens. You go back up to a six. Like, you know. Yeah. Each of these moments, yeah, they have to be investigated. And, you know, um, the English are, by the way, they're, I've seen English actors do Shakespeare incredibly well. But it, absolutely. I, they yeah. clearly know how to use that sort of process of investigating the language in order to get the energy of those words to work in a way that serves the storytelling. And, mm. Mm. you know, we in the States, we have a joke. It's like they're being trained to play gods over in the UK where we're being trained to play like emo cash register cashiers. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about our little feelings and you know all that brando and jimmy dean stuff it's like <laughs> i gotta make this all about me it's me it's all about me and my my problems and which is by the way produces some of my favorite work you know i love that uh -huh. stuff too i love it all you know so long yeah. as it's good i love it so you yeah. so all right so then uh but then you come out of school and clearly You've hit your stride because you're working pretty right away, right? You're starting to you're working with the Alliance Theater in Atlanta pretty early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was pretty early on, but before that, I worked at Kaiser Permanente. I was uh, traveling around boys and girls clubs and YMCA's doing a children's show. It was my first. That's actually my first paid acting gig. Yeah, I did playing... read that. I didn't know what the hell that meant. Can you explain okay. what that is? So like, yo, so Kaiser Permanente has this preventative education program, right? And they okay. travel around to YMCA's and boys and girls clubs and they talk about, you know, the ABCs of asthma or they talk about oh, um, nice. yeah. like the, the, the five food groups. And I had this song, I was like, one to the two to the three, four, five fruits and veggies, five to thrive. I would do that to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to, to kids. And yeah. so like my character's name was Juan Be Healthy. That was my name. Okay. And... We'd be in this like 16 passenger van with all of our stuff. And um, it was three of us and we would set it up and we would take it down and we'd do all that. We'd travel around a bit. And um, I remember 
uh, it was a very humbling experience. It was a, it was incredible for me because it was my introduction to the working acting community, right? Yeah. One of my reasons right. I left I left school twice. I left school at Kennesaw. Oh, I, Columbus, I dropped out of school. My father passed and I went home to be with my mom. And then I went back into school at Kennesaw State University. And, but in, in that gap is when I, when acting as a vocation became real. Um, because with Kaiser, a lot of the working actors from around town, like they would make, they would pass through Kaiser Permanente. Uh, it was like a contract of like six months. So it wasn't a long commitment. You could keep yourself afloat while you were still working or like auditioning for like your TV stuff or your film stuff, or your theater stuff. And mm. it was my introduction to, you know, just this community of actors. And it was, it was so different from being at school and seeing uh, the actors that I was around who were students and, you know, they're working in like, you know, they're, they're working out either books a million or whatever, and they're trying to piece together this life. And for me, someone who loved acting but didn't know that it was something that you could actually do, that mm -hmm. it didn't, didn't feel real as a, like for a living, it felt like still an idea. Yeah. And then when I auditioned for that, you know, I was, I was talking, it was, it was, it felt so beautiful. I was like talking to actors and they were talking about their lives and they, you know, they were paying their bills and they had families <laughs> and they, it was, it was like, it was just, it was real. And I was like, oh shit, this is. Did you find them to be fun people? Cause that was the thing for me, like getting around adult actors. I was 11 years old, suddenly doing a, uh, I was doing this musical and was with adults. And I just remember thinking, I mean, these people are funny. <laughs> You know what I mean? And then, yeah. and of course, to be a young person in any context that gets that you're doing something with adults that's like professional and, you know, you, it's a very, that feels very special. And um, yeah, they were, and they were just interested. The conversation was better than the conversation mm. I was getting in fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I think that, you know, yes, the language, uh, they were funny. I think that there was a part of them that remained intact that were, uh, I, whenever I would talk to other adults, like it was almost like that part of them was no longer there. Like at these, these actors, mm -hmm. I would talk to them and they they were still, there was, mm -hmm. there was this, there was this other thing that was there. Yeah. And I thought that in order to become an adult, I had to give that up. And it right, was really right, right. beautiful to like be around people who were funny and, funny and explosive and like you know and would there was just all of this living and life and electricity and i thought that in the world that i was going to end that i was entering into part of that was like neutering that part of myself and being like okay now we have to join right. the world you know and right and that was a that was a beautiful thing for me um which meant that when i went back to school i had this well, I, you know, I had this lived experience now. I, <laughs> I was like, I'd, I'd, I'd worked. So I went back yeah, to school and yeah, I was like, sure. I was like, I'm going back to school and I'm in an acting class and they're like talking about acting stuff. And I'm like, great. And I had a different perspective on it than as I, with all of the training I got, I found myself 
you know, reading all kinds of book. I had a library of all these different kinds of things. And in trying to figure out, like looking at all of these tools and ways of acting and ways of approaching the work, I found that I got so divorced from like my center. Like mm. I was, I was like trying to do this and trying to do that and trying to do this. Right. And that's also, that's part of school, you know, it's like that process of kind of like stretching and stretching and stretching. And then there's an alchemy that happens when you kind of, and like almost an alchemy and an acceptance of, okay, I have all of these tools. And right now in this moment, these are the things that resonate with me. And I have these tools to draw on as mm. I encounter life and more roles and different things yeah. of that nature. But I didn't have that kind of maturity at the time. I was just felt like the thing that made acting sacred was gone. And I was just like, you know, this is vacant of any kind of soul. I feel like it's so mm, yeah. It it's mechanical. It's, it's mechan yeah, it just felt yeah, yeah. you know, which was why also doing children's theater brought me back to like I mean, there's nothing there's nothing more uh in my opinion, there's there are few things that will connect you as an actor back to your core and like inner child and self and all of that than doing children's theater. Yes, completely. Yeah. Cause the best I mean, audiences in the world. Yeah. Or the worst. I had a little kid. I had a little boy when I had my, 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 my croc. No, no, my croc. Alligator shoes. Alligator shoes. Not actual. Just they were. Look, it was an educational production. So I got those shoes. And then I had <laughs> these short khaki pants and I had a Hawaiian shirt on and a fedora. I'll never forget. I'm at this YMCA. 15 kids, not a big audience, can't hide anywhere. In the, in the lobby, so it's not even in a gymnasium, it's in the lobby of the YMCA. Yeah. And this little kid in the back of the audience, once again, 15 kids, not many people. This kid goes, man, you acting like a bitch. <sighs> and I was just like. Oh, boy. Oh, I was like. Boy. Crispy broccoli. <laughs> Crispy broccoli. So, five to thrive. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh that's rough that's a rough moment <laughs> you gotta work hard on your composure it's gotta go <laughs> yeah that that can uh that can be a different what? kind of a kid in an audience yeah. sure no question but like you Humbling. have the it's it's span it's like this it spans it's the gamut you have these kids who are you can see the their eyes lighting up as your eyes are lighting up talking about fruits and vegetables and like they see a puppet and the puppet is magical oh completely it's truly yeah. magical yeah yeah it is you know um and then it's a weird kids. thing i even with my kids now it's like we have a we've got like a kermit the frog uh and i'll i'll do his voice but i'll be standing doing it and i'll be like hi ho you know how would you how was your day at school and what are you gonna you know whatever and they and they they love it and they'll look at uh my boy they'll look at me and they'll look at the doll and they'll look back at me or the puppet um but their willingness sometimes you know it's like with kids it's like they have a willingness to believe in what's going on in the storytelling and you know we have that as adults that's Part why I think theater is magic and movies, you know, it's like we go into that dark room and we, we agree that everything mm -hmm. we're going to see on that screen is real, you know, or we'll believe in it or we'll, you know, I mean, depends on the movie theater, even more so though. I feel like on theater, it's like, um, you could be on stage, you could be wearing a, a sign that says like, uh, a, a mouse 
And the audience is mm. going to go, full grown adults are going to go like, okay, you're a mouse. Cool. Beautiful yes. thing. Yes. Yes. I think it's a, yeah, I agree. I just agree. I agree. Yeah. So it's you the go- thing that makes it sacred. Yeah, it's the thing that makes it one of the things that makes it sacred. Exactly. So now, so you, yeah. but now you do get involved. So you're doing stuff at the Alliance eventually, and then you mm-hmm. get into a co. I I understand a co-production with Manhattan Theater Club on a play called Choir Boy. Is that right? Yeah. So there's a, an actor dropped out of a show last second at the Alliance. The casting director Jody Feldman um, had been talking to me about auditioning for shows, and they were in a bind. He reached out and asked me if I'd hop in. My teachers at the time were like, the worst decision you'll ever make in your life. Don't do it. Why? And I was like, well, because they were, you know, they were, they, it was twofold. On one hand, they were like, um, John, your education is really, really important. You know, get your diploma. And I understood okay. that. Okay. All right. On the other hand, they were like, we've scheduled our last, our, our, our season. And our season is scheduled around the talent that we have in the department. And so, like, we really... Like it's so it's twofold. It's Sorry, like this folks. is about you, and this is definitely about the fact that we want to do these plays. Right. And so, um, uh, and so, I said yes to the the show at the Alliance, and uh, that's how I got my equity card. Yeah, and I was like, whoa! And, and then it, I mean, it was it was a whirlwind because we had three days before I went on, um, but I learned. You know the the track of a Christmas wow. Carol, the music, the everything, and it was a joy and the best case scenario because you're like the, you come in and you're the savior. You know you come in and everyone's like, <laughs> look, we just we really were rooting for you to win. We're rooting. There's no bullshit. Everyone's like, That's we cool. want you to win. Yeah. And I'm just like, everybody wants me to win. Uh-huh. It's a great feeling as an actor, right? Yeah. And uh, but so I do that, and then there's this another play that was coming around. They had this thing called Taste of the Season. And that day and um, they would do a scene or monologue from each of the shows that were coming up and one of the shows that was coming up was The Whipping Man by Matthew Lopez right and, which I saw on your resume yeah yeah that, so I don't like, know that play it's a it's a three people in it so you know it's you there's no hiding um, and it's a uh, right after you know slavery is abolished and going into like reconstruction and mm-hmm. and um, it's a tale of these three souls in that time. And I found that, well, one Jody, she was like, well, we, there's a monologue from The Whipping Man for Taste of the Season. I wondered if you'd do it. Um, it doesn't mean that you have the role. Uh, you still have to audition and stuff like that, but wondered if you'd perform it for Taste of the Season. I was like, of course. I learned it. I performed it for Taste of the Season. I loved the monologue. I loved mm. the play. Yeah. And um, the response, the 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 monologue itself was just very dynamic and the response and taste of the season was strong, but I still had to audition. So I did. And I was auditioning with other actors that I hold in high regard in Atlanta, just still do. They're some of the most incredible actors that I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I was fortunate enough to get the role. And while we were rehearsing Whipping Man, they were casting Choir Boy down the hallway. And I didn't know that they were doing Choir Boy. I'd never heard of Choir Boy. I'd never heard of, you know, Terrell McCraney. I'd never heard of mm-hmm, Trip right. Coleman. I'd never heard of these folks. Yeah. And Jody was leaving the casting room. I think she was going to get like a coffee or something. And she was like, John, are you, are you coming in for this? And I was like, no. She was like, I'm going to send you the script. You should read it. Pick two roles to audition for and come in and, and just read. And we'll see what happens. And I was like, for sure. Went home, 
read the play. I immediately felt like I was reading something I'd never read. I'd never read something like it before. Yeah. And uh, picked two roles to audition for, and I went in and did it. And it was. Um, the room was incredible. Everybody was incredible. I started auditioning for one of the roles. They were like, "No, absolutely not." I was like, "Cool." <laughs> Go on to the second role. I was like, "I was like, all right, all right, great." <laughs> and I auditioned for the other role, and. You know, they let me get through it, and I sang a song and all of that. And they were among themselves, and they said, where are you from? Like, what is your... All of that banter and conversation. And then I ended up booking it. And at the time, I didn't know that that meant that I was going to go to New York and understudy it at MTC Stage 2 and all of that. So I'm just this kid from... You know, I'm still this kid from Georgia. And now I'm like, okay, so I... I know that I'm going to be understudying. I've also never understudied before, right? Hard, so, hard job. Hard. I've done it a couple of times. It's, it's, it's tough. Fuck. And bro, what I'm saying, getting up there, receiving the news that I'm going to be understudying three roles. Three, three roles, tracks, my God, yeah. With the choreography that they were employing and stuff and got the news that I was going to be going on, um, that I was definitely going to be going on because some folks had conflicts. I was like, whoa, okay, okay. So then it's the thing that I love as an actor where um, auditioning for something without the lived knowledge that I can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like throwing myself into the deep end and going, all right, let's figure it the fuck out. Let's go. Yeah. And, um, and I did all the work that I could. I prepped and all of that stuff. I ended up going on. Things went well enough for them not to fire me which is great and uh and then when it came to atlanta for the second part of the copro i took over one of the roles and that was a beautiful thing because it was such a celebrated show at that at that time like it was there was a lot of buzz around it in new york and it was doing really really well and to come back home and to be this actor who did you know, it just it was a great feeling to do Christmas Carol and Whipping Man and then Choir Boy and to feel like all of these, all of the kind of, the plays that I was doing were so, the story of them I believed in. Yeah. I believe, and I, and that doesn't, I didn't realize that at the time that that doesn't always happen. Because it was Yeah, like, yeah, you're talking about like, even Christmas Carol, it's like you're saying like the idea is going on and it's like you can get behind that yourself. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. I was like, yo, I believe in this. I yeah. in the story of the character in Whipping Man, I was like, I believe in it. In the story of yeah. and the, the people in Choir Boy, I was like, I believe I yes, yes, yes. And um Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's great. So then you and by the way, you also it looks like you performed at the Actors Theater of Louisville, right? Yeah. Now, I gotta ask about this. Is it was this the location of the Humana Arts Festival? I yeah. had that right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So Am I right that how? this how the it, fuck what? how the fuck did this go away? It's it stopped right. It's finished for good. Is that right? Yeah, I tragic. So. We need yeah, places it, like this across the country, not just on the coasts. You know, you're absolutely fucking right. It was a singular place, and there are so many places that um, that operate with the same function to like draw in 
to facilitate and draw in the incubation and birthing of new work when we need it the most mm-hmm. and to really support the playwright um to support and celebrate the playwright and the story and uh you know for me when i when i you know when i went to humana the play that i did was brownsville song b-side portrayed by kimberly hmm. and i love kimber she's incredible yeah and uh the play you know it was kind of circuitous how it happened i was when i was at kennesaw we did a show and we, you know these like theater festivals these college theater festivals there was these college theater festival actf was the name of it yeah okay went yeah to, yeah so like we go we do this college theater festival we perform in it and there are these all these different workshops and stuff and I decided to audition for the apprentice program at the Actors Theater of Louisville. Yeah. And the guy who ran it um, was Michael Legg, uh, two G's. And so <laughs> Michael, uh, I did the audition. And he was like, this is great, but you're a junior, so you're not eligible. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you for seeing me. And I left. <laughs> Years later, they're looking for someone for this tray, for this play, looking for the character. And Meredith McDonough is the director. And... Apparently, they're at a trivia night in Louisville. And Michael's like, I met this kid. Uh, I met this kid. His name's, I can't remember his name. But, like, I met this kid. I think that he might be a good fit. I know you're having trouble casting it. Maybe you should just, like, I'll, I'll reach out to him and see, you know. How and many years at, later? It was, like, at least, I think it was, like, a couple years. Like, a year okay. and a half, two years Still later. Still, though. Yeah, it was, like, and I was doing this my second round of Christmas Carol at that time. And I got... The message from I got the message about the audition, and I didn't know what Humana was. So I was talking to the actors that I was around, and I was like, I got this audition for this like a uh, at Actors Theater, and they were like, of Louisville. I was like, yeah, and they were like, <laughs> is it for the Humana? I was like, it's for the Humana Fest. They was like, John, John, Humana, Humana is like for actors. That is a that is a thing for yeah. actors. That yeah. is a, it's it's the equivalent of, you know. It's it's you know it's like it's like a like Williamstown like you well yeah go I was gonna to say like fucking... that was the th- you know when I talk about that program on on here a lot and um, you know but so yeah but I but then Humana was the one that I had heard a lot about and would re and would buy their uh, the, the book anthologies. That would, the anthologies that would come out every year of the short plays and read through them and um, very curious about what summers were like doing doing that festival and uh it was clear to me how beloved it was how many so did you do did you end up doing one summer did you do another after that i did one what was it what was that like in terms of because we talk on here a lot about when we do when i do have someone like joe on who i met at williamstown we talk a little bit about the energy of the place with these young people and then these professionals who are older and, you know, or sometimes professionals who are your age, but they've done a bunch of movies and stuff already. And what was the, uh, what was the, was it a party atmosphere at night? Was it, (laughs) you know, what do you do in Louisville for, 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 I mean, we were hanging out in North Adams, Massachusetts doing dumb shit. You, you, you drink like, yeah, you drink, you You drink, you drink. There's a place called Freddy's. Freddy's was this like dive bar. It was this beloved place and everybody would like, you do your rehearsal, you do your whatever. And everybody be like, Freddy's, 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 Freddy's. And everybody go to Freddy's. And like, they had a, you know, they had the, like the jukebox thing. You put the coins in, you play the song and there's like just enough space for anybody to get around. And you kind of, you know, it's like, 
you know, it has like a, kind of a smell to it and kind of a history <laughs> to it. And everybody's like, you know, it's just, it, it, it had this, it, it had this, it had an energy to it, right? Yeah. Um, and it was also such a place where there was this convergence of all these different people from different places in their careers, from people yeah. who were like apprentices who were, you know, helping facilitate and get everything going and all of this stuff, people who were interning, people who had been working in the theater for like, Les Waters was the artistic director at the time. Les is, I mean, he did the, he directed this production of Our Town. He directed this production of Our Town that was going on when I arrived. I saw it. I'll never forget it. It was one of the most beautiful productions I've ever seen. I think there was a, no, I don't think I know. There was this massive moon. It was in the round. Hmm. There was this massive moon. And it was staggering. It, it made me feel, it made me feel so many things. I'll never forget, like that production was incredible. And but now they're I not was, doing it with the there's but they're still not they're adhering to the no props thing right yes yes so they have, this, they have a set that includes this enormous moon pretty spare otherwise oh there's nothing there's nothing yeah there. yeah nothing there's nothing at all and I'm not cool. quite sure I think that they revealed I think that the moon may have been a part of a reveal later and yeah. like when the world came and it was like boom and you could see everything yeah but yeah, I just remember full body chills and watching it and going wow. holy shit holy and the guy who played i can't remember his name for the stage manager he was so profound in his simplicity mm. it's like when I, I i i was he just had this trust in himself he just hmm. there was no there was no pushing there was not an iota of pushing or anything like that he was you know it was like he could be talking. It's like we could be talking right now, and then the, they'd be like, "Okay," and the show is starting, and he'd be like, "Cool," and he's just talking in the show. It was seamless. And it it's was, a kind yeah. of like a, it's like a, a kind of taking care of the audience with that, where it's like you know, for an audience member, it's the thing about nerves, nerves, which I feel like can fuel things in a wonderful way. You don't have to deny your feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, try giving them to the character, but there is something about. Uh, when somebody is sort of so centered that they have this wonderful ability to take care of the audience. And for that particular role, um, it sounds very special. I, yeah, I mean, I can't think... I remember an actor once, and I can't remember this, this actor's name, but it was the previous iteration of Take Me Out on Broadway, the previous one that they did mm -hmm. back when I was just coming out of college, and there was an actor in that who narrates a bit, and they had that too. And I, that, mm -hmm. a little bit of it sounds like what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, those performances, uh, you know, those are the, I've seen some, I've seen countless where it's, you're, mm. you're so moved by people in so many different products. At this point in my life, I've seen so many people who've just moved me. And then mm. I'll follow their careers oftentimes along the way. Like Simon Russell Beale is uh, finally getting, and you know he's popping up in movies and TV you know, a lot now. That was a guy that I'd been watching uh, since I was mm. young, a young person, and just being like, this guy is incredible. And only now is he becoming sort of a little bit more of a household name, just a Brit actor and um mm. but yeah um well that's lovely and so then all right so then you come back to new york and you at some point you get involved with the classical theater of harlem right yeah yeah that was a there was a 
a bit of a time in between, but there was a Actors Theater of Louisville connected me to like agents, managers, blah, blah, blah. And like the, the potential of a move to New York made sense after okay. that. Okay. All right. I was, so wait a minute. So pardon me. So you had done the Manhattan Theater Club job. Mm-hmm. You then went back to, you went back home after that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you do Louisville. Now at, agents and managers were flying in yeah. and saw you there. Really? Yeah, agents and managers. Yeah, agents and managers flew in to see the shows. Very cool. To see the, you know, and it became this because also like you, there's all of these actors at various places in their careers. There's people with names, people with no names, and a yeah. lot of their reps would come and you know, and then um, I was just around all of these people who lived in these coasts that I was like, oh man, these guys are like, they're like. They're like, whoa, they're, it may, I used to think that actors in New York or LA were somehow a different tier than the actors in Atlanta from where I was from. I just had this, this yeah, like yeah. idea. And then when I saw everybody, when I saw, when I was working with everyone, I saw them in person, I was like, oh, the work is the work is the work. Absolutely. Oh. The most amazing was, actors who live in the different, you know, Chicago as well, but, you know, folks up in Boston, folks down in, you know, I'm sure, I don't know what's going on in Texas really, but I'm sure the great folks everywhere, everywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And this understanding that I started to gain that, you know, this reality that sometimes the most brilliant actors that exist, I will never know their name. Yeah, yeah. Like, I may never know, like, right. but they... They have made a decision, like some of the actors that I know from Atlanta, some of the most incredible actors I've ever met, and I, and I, I you know, you know, lived more, seen different performances in different places, and still remain some of the most incredible actors that I've ever seen on a stage. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and they made a decision, they made a decisive choice to like live their lives, you know, in Atlanta, for their families or whatever this decision was, they made a choice. Yeah. And it was not a. You know, they didn't get beat by the industry. It didn't like, you know, win or whatever. They as artists made it a choice to live in that space because they love their lives in that space. And and so I, anyway, you know, there's a a casting director from New York, John Ort, who came down and he asked me if I'd ever thought about living in New York and giving a shout up there. And I was like, you know, no, actually I haven't. I, I am in Atlanta. I'm a working actor in Atlanta. This is everything I've wanted. So I've never really wanted to do that. And um, and he's like, think about it. And then all of the actors around me were like, have you thought about it? 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 And I was like, well, motherfucker, the more y'all talking about it, the more I'm thinking about it. (laughs) And then then, uh, then I I went back, I I went back to, I went to the Kennedy Center where the, one of the guys, his name is Greg Henry at the Kennedy Center, who facilitates a lot of the ACTF stuff. I was went there to, to to help workshop a play after Humana, and he said Humana was really great, wonderful, wonderful. Congratulations, John. And then he said, "So, what is the next step?" And I was like, "I think the next step is, I think the next step is New York." And he was like, "So, how are you going to get there?" I was like, "I don't know." And he said, "Pick a flight, we'll pay for it." And I was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Yeah, pick a flight, we'll pay for it. Just when do you when do you need to go?" Hmm. And so. I was fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of like his generosity and the of the organization and stuff. And they, uh, I picked a flight. I stayed on my friend Joe Metcalf's couch. Um, we are 
Bernardo's in touch anymore. I think he, pretty sure, I think he's living in Chicago now, doing his fucking thing. Um, but I stayed on Joe Metcalf's couch and like was taking meetings and I met Marcy Phillips at ABC. She just came up in conversation uh, the other day uh, with somebody. Yeah, I met her like one or two times at Williamstown, but not any sort of like, n- no quality time. Yeah, but big, important person. Bro, she, John John brought me in and he was like, you need to meet Marcy. And I was like, cool, cool. And then before I read, we sat down and we had this conversation. Conversation, it was like 45 minutes. And then she was like, maybe we should read. Maybe you should read. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sounds great. And then, but in the conversation, I was just moved to tears because I was like, I can't believe that I'm actually here. I'm on the receiving end of such generosity. You know, because I, I, you know, I couldn't afford to get there. I didn't have a place to stay, you know, and, and because of the kindness of other people and the community and the theater community, because of their kindness, like I got, I was in the space that I was in. And she just said something to me that I won't forget. She said, uh, remember, you need to know this as an artist and as an actor that nobody does you any favors. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, you have to understand that you, you are bringing something to the table. That you have to, and you have to value the thing that you're bringing to the table. You have to honor that and value the contribution that you're making to the spaces that you're in as an actor, as a person. Yeah. Because there's a world where these you know, they don't have to, the generosity is not a given. And I was like, and I just, you know, it's, it's taken me years. I'm still chewing on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we did a, I put something on tape for, dude, I did a, a tape for straight out of Compton. I put a, put that on tape. Look <laughs> okay. at it. I read over it and I put it on tape and then she was like, do you mind if I send this around to some more people? And I was like, Oh, absolutely. And she, she sent my stuff around to some more folks, which is how I met my manager, Jane. And um, and after all of that, I went back to Atlanta to do, because uh, I was like, I'm still not quite sold on New York. I was just felt like a big move. And yeah. I went back to do yeah. Bull Durham the musical. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> Incredible. Love it. And, Love uh, that part of yeah. your story. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Then I went back to, then you know, New York for a number of years and, Know, doing workshops there a workshop or reading workshop reading that was the thing for a long time and then auditioned for a show at the classical theater of harlem to fit for a queen and um met tamala and you know an incredible you know sharia and um shireen no um shireen was uh actress theater um but just met some incredible actresses and actors and that was wonderful and you know at that point I was just not just I was just I was working doing that and also making a living I was a bellman at a hotel in Times Square so it was wow yeah that's a uh, yeah I had my job in Times Square it wasn't in Times Square but it was close it was at 30 Rock basically I worked for I was like a I was working at a Dean and Duluth I, that was my college job my first college job in New York or yeah, when I was in college, and then it was my job getting out of NYU was working for Dina DeLuca at the various locations. Like I worked down at the Soho, the the big supermarket down there. I had the little coffee mm. shack was mine during the summers, and then I was interning at Cherry Lane Theater 
you know, at the same time. And then, Yo. you know, the, then the next year graduating from school, then I worked at a couple. I worked at the one at University Place and Tony Kushner came in and people like, <laughs> oh, yeah, great people came in and, you know, and I would fumble with their order. And then, uh, and then I eventually ended up at uh, Rockefeller Center, at the, the one that was across from the Today Show. And, uh, mm. yeah, when you're doing those jobs, I mean, definitely around the holidays, it's like that's when that job was nuts. And I would imagine because you just have a line of people out the door for hot co- uh, chocolate. And it's like mm. and the tree is there. I feel like, yeah, any job in Times Square, it's like it's a little hectic. Probably. Doing, yes. Agreed. Agreed. There's a. Yeah, there's a tempo that you can't quite. Where were you? Where were you living at that point? Like, what part of New York were you? Were you able to find a place? Yeah, I mean, I moved to New York. I was living with my friend uh, Steve for some time, and then he was like, "Yo, this is affecting our friendship, bro. You need to leave." I was like, "Cool, cool, 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 bet." <laughs> Sharing the place. It was just like no, I mean, because I, I I was I was not a good house guest. I was he was like a he's like a family friend. We hadn't seen each other in person in like since we were like five. And his mom knows my mom, so his mom was like, "Juwan's son is coming up. He needs a place to stay. Would you yeah. let him stay on the couch?" And I stayed on the couch. And when I tell you, I stayed on the couch without you know being very, yeah, it's not a not the best not the not the best house guest. Um, and so he was like, "Yeah, dude, you gotta move." I was like, "Okay, cool, cool." And at that, around that time, I, I met someone, and we were together, and we lived together in um, Inwood. We lived in Inwood and lived there for a couple of years. Um, and then after that, I lived in Queens for a little bit in Jackson Heights. Okay. And I lived, you know, spent some time in Harlem as well. Um, bounced around, even some time in Brooklyn, like a short times in Brooklyn. That's so yeah. just, yeah, and sometimes I'd you know, cat sit or dog sit or... Oh, yeah, there was that. I had friends doing that a lot. And you, particularly, sometimes you'd get a friend who's like, um, I don't think this is too crazy to say, but my friend Elna Baker, who's been on this series, I talk about Elna from time to time. I just interviewed um, Clay Clayborn Elder, who's like a mm-hmm. longtime friend of Elna's as well. And she was like, I remember at one point she was house-sitting for Justin Thoreau. And I remember, you know, going over, I don't know how she met him, but she was housing for, and he had a cool place on Washington Square Park at the time. Uh, just a very cool, kind of like open design. I didn't explore the whole place, but it was like had a. It was it was it was pretty nice. If you could get any any, if you knew anybody who had means and it's like could help, you know, you could house it for them or something like that. There were friends of mine who would do that for sure, and I think like. Um, but so anyway, so then you're then eventually you start booking some TV and, uh, I guess, let me see, you had, uh, you start, you book Gotham. Mm -hmm. Is is that, am I right on that? Is that like your first TV job? I, you know, I, I booked my first two TV jobs on the same day. So no kidding. Yeah. I was at 72nd and Broadway and I got a call from my agent. And I got the Gotham, and then I got the Mysteries of Laura. And it was oh, the like... Mysteries of Laura, right? Sure. <laughs> the old, the old Mysteries of Laura. Of oh, Laura. Uh, <laughs> with a Deborah Messing. Yeah, bro. Right, right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and and the Mysteries. Um, great. <laughs> and then so and then eventually. <laughs> I'm being cheeky. So you, and then you get a, you stay in the superhero world because then you get 
you book this recurring role as Alex Wesley on the Marvel Netflix series Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, big, that's a big, a nice, a nice break right there. Um, yeah. And then you, so you go on to do another Netflix series called What If, alongside mm-hmm. Oscar winner Renee Zellweger. That one, I'm not. Uh, that one I'm not aware of. What What was that show? I've met um, her once. She was very interesting. You know, uh, I would imagine that she'd be probably, she was very gracious, a very gracious person. Yes. I would use that language as well. Very gracious, very, um, uh, and also kind. Yeah, kind. seems like it. Yeah. 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 Um, with that show, uh, it was, it was a thriller. I, that's the, oh, okay. It was like there was a, there were a lot of different storylines, and it was a thriller. That's the best way to like <laughs> succinctly articulate the show itself, and um, and that was actually the show that brought me out to L.A. That was uh, okay, right? So I was working on at the time. I was in there's a there's a, a play festival in Ohio, uh, Columbus, I believe, Columbus, Ohio play festival. And um, my friend York was working on a, was workshopping a play of his called Summer of Summer of '68, I believe. It was actually one of my first readings when I ever got to New York as well. So he was like reached out and he was like, "We're doing this, doing this reading, man." It's and I'd done Luke Cage at the time by then, so he was just like, "I don't know, it's not TV stuff, man. I don't know, it's not TV." You know how that goes when like you, you know you do like a thing or a thing or a thing and the perception of you kind of changes and it's mm-hmm. like, do you even do theater anymore? Is that even something you're interested in? And it's like, yes, of absolutely. course. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That doesn't, but the perception is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind enough to um, allow me to be part of that workshop. And so I was, uh, I was, to be quite frank, I was in dire straits. I was pretty broke at the time. I didn't have much money. Um, I couldn't even afford my metro card to get to the plane to get to Ohio. So I was like, there was this like app that I downloaded on my phone last second that like loaned me 15 bucks. Uh, I bought a scope from a bodega, got cash back of like 10 bucks. Wow. And I was like, cool. I have yeah. just enough. And I put some on it and I got there and I, you know, I, I got to this play festival and obviously I'm like, you know, not letting on anything. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I. Everything's and, fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I was happy to be here. You know, happy wow. to be here. And like, we get, they were kind of, they, you know, there was a, there was food. They fed us. You know, I was like, oh my God, yes. But I was like, it's cool, man. Food is great. You know, and so yeah, really happy right. to have it. And then uh, I remember it was, it was kind of, I did a, I put a, I put what if on tape the day before I left, the night before I left, actually. I sent it in and I got to Ohio and there was like a glee basket and stuff in the Hotel Express, I believe. So I ate all of the all the food, all the candy in the hotel and we were just doing the meet and greet and so we did all of that. Actually the gent, um, I'm I'm listening his name, missing his name right now, but he was in the he was in the West Side Story movie, the Spielberg one that just directed. He was like mm-hmm. the bad guy, bad guy. Um, what does uh, that mean, the bad guy? He was like the one cop? of the cop. No, the one of the one of the he was like one of the boy gangs, but like one of the leads of one of the. I'm forgetting his name right now, but 
he was really oh i think i know the actor you're talking about you, you, you just mean the the leader of the the other yeah, not yeah, not, yeah. Tony, not tony but his uh, his opposite yeah. yeah 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 he's great yeah phenomenal actor did a great job yeah i liked like, that by the way i thought it was good i mean i don't yes. know that it's who cares about my opinion on that but like i, I thought everybody was great in it for sure absolutely and sent in like cinematically just yeah fucking stunning i thought it yeah. was pretty great is a wonderful wonderful movie and but at the time like i think he was using his resources to kind of bring new plays to the community because i think hmm. it's where he's from and so um uh we did that whole reading and while going through that rehearsal process i got the call from the reps and they were like hey they, they liked your tape they're passing you along for this what if thing and i was like okay great great and they're like they want to know if you'd be willing to fly out to LA to test for it and I felt like shit you know I felt really bad because mm. I had you know the obviously the, the play festival it was this inaugural year they don't have like a shit ton of money to just fly people here there and everywhere yeah and I was like you know I can't leave my friend in a bind you know what I'm, saying? I'm not gonna just like dip and fortunately they only asked for there were like three sides they asked for two of them but I put all three of them on tape and I sent it in and I was like kid you have all of the stuff can you use that as opposed to me leaving because i don't want to leave my friend in a bind and in, for me i mean it was you know they were like yes we can do that so they sent my tape on that's cool to hear yeah, yeah. and then they uh sometimes then, you just gotta say like look this is this is this is what's going on this is what i can offer you know yeah i think that's great that they were cool about it yeah i was surprised that they were cool about it they were reluctant but i think that you know everybody's worried about somebody's everybody's worried about somebody else's neuroses it's like well how is that going to affect the showrunner or it's like how is it going to affect the star of the show it's like if they don't have everything that they need immediately when they need it i guess you know so it's this chain of like people being nervous about screwing up or not having everything that the, the the person above them wants or i guess you know, mm. but everything mm. is urgent. Everything is, uh, it puts us in, oftentimes in a position of this has to, I have to stretch myself so completely thin uh, as to not take proper care of my body and all of that stuff. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're the, you know, a lot of times as actors, we're kind of, you know, until the, until the paradigm shifts, which is not often, we're like the last people to know, mm-hmm. like almost the last people to know where, you know, it's assumed that whatever has come down the pipe, the, the line, like when it, once it gets to us, we'll make it work. You know, we'll make it work. We'll right. do what needs to be done and we'll make it work. And at least that has been my, you know, it's, yeah. So it was great that that all worked out and I was able to do the play and do the reading and finish it up. And then by the time I was, you know, I did a meeting, a Skype call with the showrunner. And by the time all of that, I finished the reading, I had a, a contract that's a, that I needed to sign for the show that I was going to take me out to LA. And I was like, whoa, hmm. I came here with like wow. nothing, nothing. And now I'm moving, I'm leaving with like something, something. I'm like, great. And um, moved out to L.A. No one told me anything about getting incorporated. 
no one mm. says shit about like you know that if you're relocating the fee doesn't things don't just like show up so it's like oh i'm gonna but when is it coming and how am i mm. going to survive until then and need a mailing address for those checks to come in all of it all of it and yeah. so i was like running around trying to you know I think they they sent me a they sent me the check, but I had to send it back because I didn't want to put it in. Because once you, my understanding was that as an actor, once you like, once they pay you through when they pay you personally, they can't go through the company. So I was like, mm. I mm. can't use that right. I have to establish a company and d d d So like all of that was kind of frenetic and yeah. wild and showed up on set and they'd already started shooting the series. And I was like one of the last additions to it, and I was just like. It's great. Everybody had a bonding session already. Great. Cool. Cool. So my name is John. Uh, hey, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and it's, but fortunately I was surrounded by a lot of kind people, you know, Juan Castano is one of the, he's a brilliant actor. I know from New York and I know his work from New York and we worked together on the series. He was playing opposite me a lot and Derek as well. These two guys, I spent my most of my time with them just, phenomenal actors, phenomenal people. And I was really grateful for that. For myself and Juan, it was like, you know, we're two New York guys in this LA fucking place. And <laughs> like, what do we, what do we do? Like, man, what the fuck? What is this? What do we do? Did you, and it was, did you like LA yeah. when you first came? When I first came, it was, I mean, the weather, man. I was like, wow. The weather is crazy. You know, I was like, oh, like, wow, man, the weather's crazy. It's so good. Yeah. And, it was also, you know, to, it was like kind of this storybook thing. I'm, I'm going to go to Sunset and Gower to mm. shoot a thing. I'm going yeah. to work to shoot it. I was like, wow, this is cool. And um, and then to be on set and to have them build a set for, you know, the, the, the character that I was playing and, and to like look around and to see the kind of how they just all of the different parts of the production and how they all came together to make this thing it was really humbling and mm. it was just like it was just like this is so big so much bigger than me you know it's just one mm. of those you know like i just need to be really ready when this thing rolls i just need to be sure that i'm really ready because they've been here for six hours before i got here they'll be here for six hours when i leave right like i just i need to be ready and so Juan and I, we just had this like pact. We're like, we're not gonna let each other do any bullshit. We're not gonna let each other mm. be dishonest. We're gonna hold each other to account. And it became this like, it was like this, you know, and same with Derek, it's like, you know, let's let's do good work, man. Let's do good work. And, um, and we did everything that we did. And actually the Zoe show came from mm -hmm. What If? Yeah, so I was going to say, so then that's the next thing here is in 2020, I guess, you had a big breakthrough with your role as Simon in Zoe's Extraordinary mm -hmm. Playlist. Uh, I actually just interviewed uh, Ji Young Han, uh, one of your fellow Gee. cast members. Yeah, he, it was uh, two days ago. <laughs> she is lovely. Yes. Yes. Oh, Super golly. funny, talented. Yes. Yeah. She Amazing. says hello. And... Um, uh. So, and that's where I, I think that's the first time I saw Hi, your... G. Because <laughs> I'll be on, because, you know, yeah, it's a through, podcast. So yeah. Through the internet, it'll, it'll yeah. reach to her. I actually, so, and so and then I think that's where I first saw your work, to be honest. I think that was mm -hmm. the first time, and I was impressed with your style of acting from what I saw. And I just saw a little bit of a musical number, but I just thought, like, 
very dynamic in the performance, makes interesting mm. choices, you know. Um, and then I guess you, and so that's a weird thing too, because you're doing musical thing. And I talked to her about this as well to G, but it's like, you're lip syncing or you're recording music and then you got to lip sync it on set or you're singing it out loud. But it's, I mean, this is a, was there anything that came out of that that was like, what were the new skills, I guess? Did you get new skills out of that job? I would have Bro, the whole fucking thing was new. whole fucking yeah. thing is new. Like, it's, it, was, it was so, once again, it's one of those things where it's so far out of my comfort zone. Like, mm. I, uh, Jane right. Levy. Right. You know, she set it up, really. Like, we were all out for drinks. We were going to go to Oil Can Harry's, and they were shut down for whatever reason at the time. And it came did, out. This, did yeah. you? Sorry, did you, you? Did you know her previous to the? What if? Okay. No, I did not. We met. On oh, but that you show. met on what if? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if? We met on what if? We were all out for drinks with uh, this guy, Summer, who um, most recently, he, he did a, he did he had a part in Succession in the, the first season, I believe. And then more recently, he was in this Inventing Anna show on Netflix. Right. Um, Somers a just a, he's a he's a incredible actor, human, and a gorgeous dude. Just like it's just like whoa, <laughs> you're like how did they make them like you? What? <laughs> and so um, so we were all I was walking around the set and what if and just like singing to myself and he was like you sing I was like yeah, and that was it. And then when we were all out drinking, Jane was talking about this series that she was going to do and that it was a musical and. They were looking to cast a guy to play opposite her and this triangle thing. And Samer looked at me and was like, John, you sing. And I was like, yeah. And she's, Jane was like, you sing? I was like, yeah. She was like, okay. She typed something in her phone. Next day, she shot me a text and said, I put your name in the hat. Read it. If you don't like it, that's not going to hurt my feelings. Mm. I just, you know, yeah. And then my agents at the time hit me up and were like, John, you sing? And I was like, it's something, yeah. okay, whatever. Okay, yeah. whatever, you know, it's like, whatever. That's it's a hard thing, too, because you're always trying to remind them what you do. <laughs> so funny. Until like, Jane Levy calls, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's a thing, yeah. <laughs> and so I was just like, what? And I read the play. I read the sides. And I. the reason I auditioned for the show was because the character I was auditioning for lost his dad. Mm. Period. That's yeah. the reason I auditioned for the show. Right. I, you know, I lost my dad years previously when I was 19. Yeah, we didn't and talk about that really. I mean, it's that you were young, very young for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a, it was a surprise. He, um, you know, he had a allergic reaction to like an over the counter, you know, just like a alcohol seltzer. He just had an allergic reaction. Uh, and, okay. All right. Yeah. My God. And, yeah, and his like he his throat closed up and he suffocated. Oh and it was just like I wasn't there, you know, seeing it, but he, my little brother was, and and my mom, uh, he made it upstairs to my mom's arms and and he mm. passed, and um, it was uh, shocking and hard and continues to be hard and i think it was a formative experience for me mm -hmm. because it was like i remember when i got the news 
and maybe this makes me a terrible person, but when I got the news, I was sitting in my dorm room in Columbus, and I was supposed to go in and put on all of my blacks to do uh, tech for this, like, Princess and the Once Upon a Mattress was the musical. Okay. At the time. Yeah. And I got the news, and I just sat on my bed, and there was this, I had, like, two minds at the time. One was, like, like shock. Two, there was this part of me in my brain that was like, remember this feeling. Like, you'll never feel this feeling this way again. Mm. And that was, like, so clear in my head. Because it was like, it was like, I remember distinctly that, like, there was a thing happening that I had no, I'd never experienced before. And I didn't have language for it. Yeah. And I just wanted to, like, be in it. And I didn't talk for a while. And, um, but my, my pop, his name is John, I'm a third. Yeah. Um, he was, a he was a pastor. Um, and he was, um, he was a pastor. He also worked in human resources at the Hyatt Hotel in Atlanta. He was a director of human resources, actually, and did a lot of, and then when right before he passed, he started up a new chapter of the NAACP in Gwinnett County. Wow. That had been, yeah, so he's, he was like very community driven. He was very much mm-hmm. about service. He was very much, you know, and also very like, he'd gone through a lot of evolving and growing. Like we were in a very, when I grew up, we were, I was very, very sheltered, very, I mean, I didn't, we didn't listen to secular music. We didn't. It was like very, very oh, wow. religious, very, very fundamentalist, very, 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 very. And I I had a lot of, I grew up with a lot of fear about everything, like Y2K, Rapture, End of the World, all of the wow. shit was like, it was very, you know, that was like my reality. And, you know, as my dad got older, um, like, he softened and things changed and I actually became a part of a I started going to a youth ministry and the youth ministry was worse than it was like even more to this it was like even more you know intense in that way and intense yeah it was it was a lot and um but you know when I I I acting for me you know, we, we've gone through the story of the acting as far as like, oh man, the audition and the d d d d d and all of that stuff. And for me, like, so much of the necessity for acting was because it was like it was like my first place in putting myself in other people's shoes. I grew up very, very differently than the person that I am now. Mm. And like when I when I stepped into other people's shoes, it was like this way of, you know, like wrenching myself into empathy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, because it was so foreign from like parts of what I'd learned about the world and about people and stuff. And after my pops passed away, it was like, you know, even more. Um, like I didn't there, there weren't places in the world where I could like place those feelings. Right. Those those feelings were just really, they were like too big for the actual world. And so I needed characters to move to like process things. Sure. And, um, but 
yeah. So I cre- like acting and storytelling, and and I, this is why for me, I I encourage kids, I encourage you know people of all ages to explore storytelling in whatever capacity they you know i believe in the power of stories deeply because yeah. they you know i would not be the person that i am today without storytelling and without acting yeah and um and so uh yeah it was kind of took a turn there but um yeah yeah you were talking about this character that was part of this character description for this show that was a bit yeah. uh, that was a hook for you yeah absolutely it was it was um when i read the sides i bawled it just it hit mm. me in my gut and i was like oh my gosh this is a black man who's lost his father and he doesn't have the tools and he and she's getting this glimpse into his like internal world and it's like the first time that I was like, wow, this is so specific. This is so fucking specific. This is like a guy who has it together, who no one would think is feeling this thing. And he's, and we get to explore that. Yeah. Through song. I was like, in yo. Song, right. I was like, I was like, I have to, I have to put my hat in the ring for it. And I did. And I, you know, I did the audition went home called my mom on the way home was like yo there's a there's this role that i'm going in for reminds me a lot of dad hmm. she's like yeah i was like yeah and i was like i think i did him proud she's like yeah i was like yeah and um i was like i don't know if it's gonna happen or not because it's a musical you know but we'll see and she was like okay well it's good and then i got on a plane Burbank Burbank airport and I got on a plane because I was like this is probably not gonna happen so I got on a plane to go to New York to see somebody that I was seeing at the time and so I was like all right cool I'm on the plane they closed the doors I got a call from my manager and she's like they want to see you again and I was like so I should not go to New York right now <laughs> and she was like no you should not you're not and getting the sense <laughs> at this point that like when you go put your work in for something that like there's there might be a good chance that you might book it no, there's so many things that I put in stuff for. You know, that doesn't like, go your way, yeah. Sure. That doesn't go, and like and yeah, even yeah. those moments where you're like, man, I really think that I, I think that I put my, my, my spin or my thing into this. I, I really and you don't and get like, it, and crickets. Not even that you don't get it, crickets. Sure. Like, yeah, not even a callback. Like, does anybody, yeah. <laughs> anyone, anyone? No. So it's like I just, you know, and okay, fair enough. And it and it kind of frees me to go, cool, all right. And uh, on, to the, on to the next one. Yeah. So I got up on the plane. I said, I have an emergency. And I they, they let me get off the plane. Oh, my security. God. This is like a, a this just turned into a movie itself. <laughs> so like security escorted me off. Like it, it sounds big, but it's Burbank Airport. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. It's, it's, you know, I just want to make sure the audience is like, wow, it was it. It was like uh, one guy. And he yeah. was like, just fuck out of here, man. Come on. It's so like, <laughs> right. so like I go down and I'm like. You know, they asked me because at the time I had my hair grown really long and my beard was big. And I, I went into the audition with bangles, like, you know, on my wrists. And I had this, like, Labradorite on my chest. And, you know, some tight jeans. I was in the G Star stage. I was like, G Star jeans, G Star jacket. And I was like, it's going to do me. Like, that kind of shit. Okay. And, uh, and they're one, they're, they had two requests. They're like, one, 
can John get a haircut? And two, can he wear a suit? <laughs> oh my god, hilarious! And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Then all of my clothes were going to New York, so I was like, fuck. And I had a friend, um, Wilkie Ferguson, whose partner Tommy Hobson. Um, I hit up Wilkie and I was like, hey, so do you have any clothes that I could borrow? He's like, you're not gonna fit me because Wilkie was it's a very built fellow yeah yeah he's like you're not not gonna fit my stuff but maybe you'll fit tommy so i went to their house tommy let me try on some things i borrowed a suit from tommy got a haircut really quickly went did the whole you know it was my first time actually actually doing the um go in sign the contract before you go in oh yeah we've talked about those situations on here yeah you see everything you could be making yes Mm -hmm. yes and i'm just like and you know, and Wilkie was helpful because he's also a composer and brilliant musician. So while I was there, he was like, so what's this for? I was like, it's a musical, I gotta do this music, I gotta prepare this music. He was like, he has a piano in his house. He was like, so you wanna sing it? I was like, I mean, yeah. yeah. He was like, you wanna sing it now? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. was like, yeah. So he starts going through the music and he plays through the songs and he's like, okay, so this is what you do. When you go in there, there's gonna be an accompanist. Your key is, he's like, this is your key for this song. This is your key for this song. All right. And I was like, okay, thank you. Okay. So you're just remembering so, those two notes. Yeah. Yeah. You actually yeah. Wrote, I wrote them down. Yeah. I was like, so I went there and I had like a, you know, like a short session with the pianist and I was, he was like, so what are you? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he just show him a little piece of paper. I was, I was like, this one is this and this one is this. And he was like, oh, God was bless like, those okay. people for making us sound good. <laughs> yes, dude. I tell you what, man. I, <laughs> Those you companies. Know, it wouldn't happen without him, bro. And uh, and then did the whole audition. Found out that I booked it. Realized that I was going to be going to Vancouver to shoot the pilot. When I got to Vancouver to shoot the pilot, uh, we were doing the table read and they were talking about singing live in the table read. And I was God, like... That's pressure. I was like, fuck. Yeah. And I was looking around and I was just looking at the cast. And I was like, these are, these are musical theater heads. Like this is, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I lived in, I mean, I lived in New York. Like I know musical theater heads, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like yeah. I see someone, I'm like, yo, you sing down. Like, yo, you are a monster. <laughs> like what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> pipes, and, and, pipes. They got pipes, like, these people. For days, yeah. days, days, days. And like, just, just, and you know, when I actually, when I did the audition, I had a picture of my dad that I carried with me. And the character yeah. in the um in the show, the character has this picture of his dad that they reference and and so I, I had this picture of my dad that I carried with me during the audition and I you know, I used it and so when we did the table read out loud, like I had the picture of my dad and I used it and kept him very, very close to me the whole time and mm. then we did the musical then we did the the then I then I found out it was gonna be Mandy, whose work I Mandy Moore, whose work I just as a choreographer I love her work and I've loved her work for years. Mm. And I fangirled, that was the first time I kinda of fangirled. So I was like they were like, Okay, Mandy Moore's a choreographer and I was like, the fuck what the fuck the fuck out of you? You serious? Like Mandy Moore, like like me like so you think you dance Mandy Moore? Like the fuck is like what am I doing? What the fuck is wrong? Oh my god, how am I and they're like, so after we do this then you're gonna go and have a session with Mandy Moore and I was like, What? And then Jillian, who is incredible i've been watching videos of like dance videos of jillian on youtube for mm. like three years so i 
I go up in the space and I see these folks and I'm like, fuck. I mean, the dance nice, component man. is a whole nother thing. Dude. And the way that they, um, like we warmed up and then we freestyled and you could see that they were kind of like, huh. It's freestyle, so like play some more. We just were trying to get an understanding for your body. And like, so we did more and they were like, huh. Okay. And then we started working on the Mad World song, the pilot, and we shot two versions, actually. We shot a dancey version and we shot a subtle version. And um, we cr they cracked and crafted this dancey version and then cracked and crafted this, this is subtle thing, version. With this kind of a thing where it's like, you gotta be thinking about tone and you know when you talk about like what how are also like is it a wide shot you know and, and then so that that's a really interesting part of it it's like okay this is a show that's gonna have singing and dancing how big is that singing and dancing gonna be are gonna be yes. are people gonna be whisper singing in certain moments does that depend on the close-up i mean it's a lot to consider absolutely and to that point they're like so we're introducing these people to the world at some point, maybe we can do really contemporary kind of dance stuff at some point, but we're introducing them to the world. So the question was also, is this too early for something like this? Hmm. There is this for the, for the introduction to the world. Is this too much for the audience to believe? Right so, away, right out of the gate. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, okay. And so we shot both of them and they, I think they, they showed both of them to the studio in the studio and they tested everything and they were like, yeah, we're going to go with the more subtle one. And um, that's what they ended up doing. And, and I'm grateful either way because I just was like, I'm just happy to be here. And uh, on the day, we I think we were, we were still trying to experiment with like whether or not it was all going to be lip synced or we were going to sing live. So there were like some moments, where, sometimes where like I sang live, there were some moments where I lip synced. It was really trial and error. It's the pilot. So like, because Austin was really clear, he was like, I don't want this to sound, I want this to sound like people. I want this, I don't want this, like, mm. I, he was like trying, he was trying to get this tone and this sound. And um, uh, he didn't want it too polished. And right. he was like, yeah so we were like playing with that and and that was an incredible experience we left and found out that it got picked up and then vancouver and zoe's and i was like wow what a gift yeah that would have been a dream i would have loved to do something i hope i at some point get to do something like that involves some some singing and stuff like that you get to do it on and it's a tv series sounds so cool now i got to talk about this this is the latest Latest is you're coming off a big social media moment this week. And, you know, you've made time for me, which I appreciate because this was a big week this past week. The shocking death of a character that you played called Thaddeus Wilkes, better known as Big Teak yeah. on, the, on the breakout stars drama series P-Valley. Now, your character trended on Twitter after the episode aired. Uh, this is a character that quickly became beloved by fans of the series. Congratulations. I want to say congratulations on telling such a compelling story with this character. Clearly resonated with a lot of people. 
Um, I want to tell folks a little bit about the series. It's still sort of a relatively new series, right? Mm-hmm. Second so this season, is, yeah. This is Katori Hall, the creator of the series who won the Olivier Award for Best New Play in 2010 for her play The Mountaintop, which fictionalizes the last night in Martin Luther King's life. She's also a two-time Tony-nominated writer. In addition to being the executive producer and showrunner of P-Valley, she also served as the book writer and co-producer of the Broadway hit Tina, the Tina Turner musical. And P-Valley is based on her original play that follows the lives of employees working at a strip club called The Pink in a town in the Mississippi Delta. The series has already garnered critical acclaim and nominations from the GLAAD Media Awards, Independent Spirit Awards, the TCA, and the NAACP Image Awards. Mm-hmm. Now, I read an article that you were, you spoke in an article for Entertainment Weekly uh, this past week that was published. Uh, you'd mm-hmm. already been a fan of Katori Hall's work. Uh, the opportunity to play this character was an important one for you. Particularly, in, you said how the storytelling dealt with the nuances of being a black man in America and feelings of isolation and alienation and how that intersects with mental health. Absolutely. And you spoke about this character taking their own life is what can result from what you described as this myth of the impenetrable black man that creates a hard exterior where inside there can be a lot of pain. And you spoke earlier about this, about tools. You know, this is a guy who did not have tools, the tools necessary, tools like therapy that could prevent him from, as you said, turning in on himself. So uh, you also spoke about revealing moments of black love, joy, intimacy, softness in this character and in the relationship with J. Alphonse Nicholson's character. Um, now, I only have my limited understanding of the nuances uh, and cultural significance of characters like this being created for television. But I would have to imagine this kind of representation could actually save some lives. I believe the same. You know, I often think about actors, you know, we get dumped on sometimes for things like perceived vanity and stuff, but it is our bodies up there. You know, and we're often the ones being scrutinized for things like this idea of authenticity, you know. Did you ever find it overwhelming when you're playing a character like this? Um, yeah, I do. But I, I think that this is kind of a dream for actors. Like, it's very rare, at least in my career. I have, I've, you know, I haven't been in many spaces when it comes to TV and film, like working on new plays, I think that that's where I, I love working on new plays, right? You're, you're in, the, in the sandbox with incredible people and you're throwing out ideas and you're collaborating. Sometimes with TV and film, it, it, it feels a lot less collaborative and it feels more, it has felt for me more like, okay, so you're doing that, you're doing that, you're doing that. And my, yeah. my job is to execute someone's vision. Right. And, you know, I, I love what I do as an actor and being, uh, you know, when it comes to like painting, you know, the pictures and the, the story, being able to like play a specific role in a specific shade of a specific thing in a time and all of that is wonderful. But there is, there is something about, you know, I've always been, there's something about playing characters, in my opinion, that uh, are so specific. Mm. I think that's the thing about Katori's work, and I want to throw this in as well. 
Katori Hall. She won the Pulitzer Prize for Hot Wing King. Oh, pardon me. I did. Good Lord. Um, I didn't even see that. I didn't know that. No, but Sorry. You're, but you're My good. Apologies. No, it's no apologies. To her. No apologies yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just I toss it. I put that in the mix as well. Um, I know that's why I remember that reading. That's one of her uh, plays as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, for me, it's just such a gift to, I'm, I'm drawn to characters that look like me who have robust internal lives. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, how do I, I mean, it is a lot, you know, but it's also the work, you know, it's, and I, I find that it's the thing that is the leveler in every scenario is the work. It's the same work regardless of who the character is and where they come from. It's the same, you, you, you always start at square one and you build from there. And fortunately, the, it's amazing when you have a script, you know, and you have a showrunner and a creator who is so thorough and fought through and every step of the process and brings in people that are of a like mind and you kind of see the way that the juggernaut moves when someone has such a clear vision and Katori right. has it a, a crystal clear vision when I talked to her about Teak first she was very clear about what she wanted for him and what she wanted like what she wanted for him in the series what she wanted to say through the character and um, as I read this character unfolding I realized more and more how what he was saying reflected a lot of myself and a lot of people that I know and a lot of people's experiences that have not seen themselves and yeah. I just it's just I feel like I just take it as a incredible incredible responsibility you know and then the point is just the goal is just to be as authentic and honest as possible and i've yeah. seen her talk about that in terms of the writing process as well yeah that it's just you know she was celebrating her writers in that room who she described as sort of like they're opening a vein you know you know um now and i understand she spoke with you about you knew this was going to be five episodes I you knew that right from the beginning it was very as as she said, you said it was very finite. And I, I, I'm reminded of shows like The Sopranos and Game of Thrones because you, you always heard from those actors that they never knew if they were going to get the next script. And that was it. <laughs> Their character would be killed off. You know, but, you know, yeah. for your process on this project, it must be a different experience. Now, I don't know how many of the details you knew. But I, but you knew the ingredients of this character as you're talking about. You knew this was there was some volatility in this character. So absolutely, you know, regardless, how do you prepare perhaps differently than you might have if you hadn't known five episodes very finite? Yeah, I I think that for me, the way I the way I prepare is. It, it depends, you know, there's a lot of reading. It's a lot of imagining. It's a lot of uh, writing and, but a lot of imagining. So much of what this character 
until you get into the latter episodes, so much of what he's experienced is not talked about. It has to just be alive inside of him. Mm. So that, like that means that the world, the emotional world, his history, where he's coming from, has his to be, childhood and things like his that. His childhood, yeah. all of yeah. that, has to be like. And I, I, and, and Katori was generous enough, and she's thought through so many of these things. She's like communicated to me, you know, certain tenets of his childhood and what he's carrying and all of these things. But I have to then take that information and like um, scribe that onto the instrument, right? I have to take that information that is outside and put it inside and have that be uh, alive inside so that as moments are happening and as things are happening, you know, there's, there are memories, there are things that he's pulling on and drawing on. And, yeah. Um, there are perhaps like a little emotional landmines that might. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that it's, so that's never about, so that's never about um, just forcing my, just forcing me to like, it's, it's never about just anger. It's never about just mm-hmm. doing a thing for a display. And that was, it was very much about uh, laying the groundwork. It's like laying the, it's like putting the magma inside the volcano. It's like putting that in there mm-hmm. and having it be alive. And then knowing that at some point, things are going to happen. And, you know, we get the scripts. <clears throat> and I didn't know detail. I didn't know, I knew certain details. Like, there's some scenes that were a part of the audition package. Like, they had um, a scene in 204 that was a part of the audition package when he talks about being a black man in the world. And, you know, and that scene was one of the reasons I auditioned because I hadn't heard my experiences as a black person in the world articulated like that ever. And I was like, wow, that is, I have to, I have, I have to say that. Mm. I have to say that. I have to say that in an audition. And then hopefully I have the chance to say that in the world, you know? And, um, and also this kind of peeling back what it is to be, uh, so raw and for myself thinking of a reality where I don't have any of the tools that I am fortunate enough to have you know I navigating depression and anxiety dark thoughts and things of that nature they're not foreign to me John the actor right yeah um and I'm fortunate enough to you know have uh, through being at a school where they have certain resources there or wherever, like I'm fortunate enough to have had access to certain resources, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this character doesn't have any of that. This yeah. character, on top of you know just the malaise of, you know, probably what I believe is, you know, born with certain chemical settings that are different inside teak i believe um life also happened and childhood trauma and the trauma of friends and all of these different things uh create such a volatile framework for the world and you know it but i 
but there's also so much light and love and compassion and empathy and you know like I know so many men like him who have like felt entirely misunderstood Mm -hmm. and so misunderstood to the point where it's like it doesn't why waste energy trying to be understood you know if nothing is there's no space to receive my cries so what do i do with them um and so yeah it was i I take it yeah 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 yeah. do you have any things yourself that you go to for you know when it comes to things like self-care you have any go-tos yeah dude um for me it's a lot of quiet like after some of the scenes work on you know i have to i have to kind of like just go be alone for a bit and just like rest and move through and sometimes i'll journal it out like write out like whatever's whatever is like residue you know because mm-hmm. um, sometimes it, there is residue you just have to write that out or cry that out or mm-hmm. sing that out or just like however it needs to move through let it move through and then like therapy um, and being able to like have conversations where I can you know where I can like, find the center of myself again and uh, be like okay this is you know this is okay we're back in John Lane John Lane John Lane John Lane back in John Lane great um, yeah uh, and that is a it's a it's a learning process I find that you know as we as storytelling continues to get more specific which I think is amazing for storytelling right in the art form in any way that storytelling is endeavored upon but as we get more specific and we're calling on people to like dive into certain places I think that there's all kinds of you know, landmines that we find inside of ourselves through the culture and society and all of that. And so many times as artists, we are called upon to access certain things um, on behalf of the work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes um, in accessing certain things, like we, the, the understanding is that you do what you need to do in order to do the thing. You go where you need to go in order for when the camera's rolling to do it. And there's too many examples of actors, in my opinion, who go to places and, you know, don't quite find their ground again. Don't quite find, like, they're, right. they're like, you know. And I think that there has to be a... I, I would love for there to be more of a empathy or compassion or even a structure an inline structure when it comes to productions or whatever you know where that are asking um actors to do certain things or not even just actors it's everybody in a space you know we you talk about oh the crew everybody mm-hmm. yeah everybody when right. we were shooting the the last scene that teak is alive shooting that scene it was palpable the uh the kind of the uh the nerve on set it was just very raw and 
what we are asking of everybody is to support and bear witness to this. And, um, and I think that, you know, whether it's something that is that or in Zoe's, when I was doing the um, uh, racism in the workplace episodes and the mm -hmm. 206 and stuff, and there were people that I was around, you know, black, uh, black woman who was a PA and other people of color who found themselves like they were moving through things as we were telling the story this musical and all of this we're still telling the story and everybody is impacted by the story we're telling and you know what resources do production companies and everyone have access to um to just signal to everybody around that like we understand like we're we see the where where you're we understand what we're asking of you you know and we understand that you get that, that you're a professional, you, you get it, it's the work. And also, we understand that like, so it's always, one of the things I talked to Austin about, our showrunner was like, is there a con, some kind of like, what resources can like be offered? Or are there any things that, because there was a specific, uh, there's a black woman working on the show and she was like, we're shooting one of the more um, visceral scenes she was like you know, I want to be here for you to be make sure that I, you, you're not alone that there's another black body in the space I wanted to yeah. make sure I, I, I wanted to be here yeah you know and anybody's like it's I didn't realize this that there's some stuff that's coming up for me and so I have to leave okay but I just want to let yeah. you know that like I, I see what you I see it and I acknowledge it and I appreciate it and it's courageous and it's brave I just have to take care of myself. And I was like, absolutely, I understand. And thank you for telling me. Yeah. And then I was like, I was like, yo, it's not just for the black bodies in the space, but for the white bodies in the space, for all of the bodies in the space that are like bearing witness to and a part of, you know, or, you know, it's, uh, and so one of the things that they ended up doing was, um, it was like a hotline that they made accessible to like the cast and crew and everybody top down where they could like anonymously call and talk through something or if they if there was something that came up or something like that. So they didn't have to talk yeah. to anybody on set. They could have access to that. And even if no one decided to take them up on it, right? It's something about the entity at large. It's like, how does an entity that is for entertainment and capital deal with the human beings that are at play? You know, how do the, you do the, that? The ongoing conversation in this country. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, that's nice to hear. That's a nice thing that they yeah. that they that they, that they heard that. Um, one thing that I hear a lot about, though, and you think in terms again, you go back to that thing of like people thinking about actors. It's like there isn't there's something real and noble about representing something for someone out in that audience who feels like they're the only person who suffers with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and, you know, it, and there was, I think that for both myself and Fonz and for Katori and the writers on P Valley, who like, have created a specific show for, I mean, it's a specific show. It's a, it's kind of, I think it's a love letter to the black community. And I also think that with great storytelling, it, when it's so specific, it becomes universal. And I, I, in that, 
Yeah, yeah. I agree. I saw you said that. And sorry, I don't want to interrupt. I agree, no. though. I, I like that a lot. I think that's very true. It's like there's it can it can be very specific. And at the same time, someone from outside the community might be able to say like, oh, well, this is about love or this is about, you know, trust or right. Mm hmm. And then in, in, in that, you know, it's it's uh, in, in that the story, you know, you have the 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 drop in the pond and then the ripples and like it ripples out and it affects, you know, but you have to, in my opinion, there has to be the, there has to be the specificity. And so there has to be the, which for me doesn't, you know, like get really tenuous with like using my own stuff in spaces. Um, I like to create an imaginative space that, and I, I, I use, I don't want really to talk about this much, but like I almost, like if there's a thing that I relate to or am connected to in some way, it's like I find an imaginative pathway that takes me to the same depth or hmm. I find a, a, you know, so it's, I don't like to use the same channel because I don't want to re-traumatize the right, self. Right, right. But I'll have to spend, that means that I'll have to spend the time in the quiet imagining and writing and, and kind of cultivating this, cultivating this, this, these things so that, you know, when the character is, when the character that I'm playing is in this space, there is a well to pull from and it's robust. And it's like, yeah. And there's a way to sort of protect your heart a little bit at those times yeah. when you need to. That's a great, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. So then, uh, okay, so then, well, congratulations on that. I, I, Thank you. What an incredible arc to have played this character. And so, and I know this is, this is exciting too. So next up, you've got your debut solo show <laughs> at, yeah. at 54 Below. So you did it. You convinced him. <laughs> You convince everybody you can sing. You, you <laughs> I got him. You're a musical. The, you're a musical theater head now. That's it. You did it. Fifty four below. This is a for anybody who doesn't know. This is a prestigious and intimate concert venue in New York City, where a lot of the Broadway greats put on solo musical, or sometimes they do it with uh, with other folks. Can you talk a little bit? Uh, just quickly about that show and maybe how you're preparing for it and how do you book the place? Do you just, do you reach out at this point? Do your folks reach out and say, look, John wants to the space for a night and they just say, John, yes, right this way. Like, I'm going to call them tomorrow because I want to do this. I actually, I don't, don't quite know like if it's like the chicken or the egg scenario. I think my manager was facilitating that. And I think yeah. the, the reason was because I was like, I just, it's like, okay, cool. So what's what's something that's outside of my comfort zone? Next thing, what do we want to do? And yeah, um, I love, you know, I love, I love singing, but I'm also pretty, I'm a little specific in the things that I enjoy singing, right? And so, like I, and, and so in this show that I'm curating, yeah, so much of it is going to be, you know, things that, I spent some time writing down all of these different songs that connect with me and that like the stories of the songs mean something to me. So it's going to be very intimate. It's going to be very, it's like a, 
it'll be intimate, it'll be kind of me opening myself and having a conversation through song with everybody there. Each night, I, I fully expect it to be um, beautiful and different and vulnerable and, and I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, there's a part of me that, you know, I think of, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm reluctant, this idea of like a musical theater head and like, you know, I'm reluctant. I kind of like, oh man, it's language that I'm like, ooh, let, let that be over there. You know, I just, but I, I just yeah. know that, um, I know that I love storytelling and I love storytelling through song. Yeah. And. Um, that's that's what musical theater folks love. That is what they yeah. love. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. Like, I'm excited for you. Thank you, bro. That's exciting. Thank it's very you, exciting. I appreciate well, it. Um, John, this has been lovely. Um, thank you so much for doing this with me. And um, uh, it's just really nice to connect with you. I'm glad to know you. Me too. Me too. Um, I, am, I mean, uh, I'm glad to know you, not me. I'm you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be thinking like it'd be okay to be glad to know yourself. <laughs> Knowing you, that's fine. By that's fine in my book. You, um, I'm honored that you've been following along with this podcast for how long, however long that's been. I thank you for following us. I, you know, I want to say again, congratulations on a very big week. You know, I'm reminded of there was a film called Monsters Ball from years ago. Heath Ledger had a role on that. It was when he was still doing. 10 Things I Hate About You and these rom-coms. And he did this role and it shocked people because in the first 15 minutes, this character uh, dies and, you know, it changed his career. I, you know, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen next for you, but I'm very excited for you. Um, I think it's going to be something great, more great stuff coming your way. But uh, in, in any case, I wish you continued success and safety and good health. Um, thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time and for giving me the opportunity to talk to you. And it's, uh, it's been a, just a beautiful sharing conversation. And I'm like, I'm just humbled and grateful that we get to do it. And thank you for all of the work that you're doing and for the platform that you're giving for actors to come into a space where we can, you know, talk shop. And, and all of the things that shops that that shop entails, you know, it's a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful thing for our, our community. So thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I just want a little we need a little uh, place for some dignity. <laughs> <laughs> can we ever can we have our can dignity, we, please? Just, just like an iota. An wow. iota. Like, an iota. Nah. <laughs> Well, there you have it. My conversation with John Clarence Stewart. A big thank you again to John for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Give us a subscribe and those sweet five-star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantal Tui, Patrick Adams, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And you can check out our Linktree to get some of our swag. Our Linktree is on our Instagram at things are going great for me. Stay tuned because we've got 10 more incredible episodes premiering every Wednesday, including interviews with Zibby Allen, Alyssa Lim Paris, Leonard Robinson, Claiborne Elder, Beth Risegraff, Susie Abermite, Gil McKinney, and Sufi Bradshaw, to name more than a few. 
Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editor is Sierra Hauser. My visit with my birth mother went really well. I think it was our favorite visit yet. The first few visits were a bit anxious on both our parts as we attempted to get comfortable with each other. I think we both wanted so much for the other person to like us. <laughs> but this time the visit was much more fun. It was calm and almost freewheeling at times. Lots of smiles. So nice to get to see her on her turf and in her element. It was truly a gift. If these past three years have taught me anything, it's take the damn risk. You know what I mean? See you next time. Dum, 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 dum.